I'm Rachel Cobb, uh, Station Manager for KGLP, here with Emma Farley, Operations Manager, who is uh, handling all of the video today. As you are all probably aware, uh, there was an article in the Gallup Independent announcing uh, on March 2nd that Dr. Wengler had left RMCH under less than auspicious circumstances. Um, this is a familiar pattern given the history with Caleb Lauder and others. This forum, this town hall for the Community Health Action Group is to address some of these concerns uh, from patients as well as staff and community members. There will be an employee survey presentation in a few minutes, a Q&A, and then we'll have uh, several speakers. Uh, and we also have an open mic. So with that, I'll turn the floor over to uh, Dr. Constance Liu. Connie? Hi, everyone. Okay. Thank you. So <laughs> Yay. Um, this is an amazing turnout. I see that the number of people who are coming into the Zoom are um, still rising, but here alone in this auditorium we have about 45 people, um, and I see some people still streaming in, so that number will probably go up. Um, so thank you to everyone being here. As I think we've always said from the beginning, you know, the, the greatest asset that we have here is our community. And the thing about our community is that we are far from apathy, so as long as we are that, um, we have hope. So, um, there, there are three primary messages that we want you to keep in mind today. So first of all, we're going to present you with some information and some, ev some evidence and some data that we have collected over the last three months since our last town hall meeting. And I want you to keep in mind that the things that we are reporting are not normal. That's the first thing. The second thing is that I want you to keep all of this information in mind with the idea that we need to act now because the things that we are presenting and are concerned about are ongoing and are continuing and are very damaging. And lastly, um, our community is our strength. We, as always, are going to be solutions-oriented, and um, that's the note that we are going to um, end on. But I also want you to all keep in mind the problems that we are presenting to you, the urgency of needing to act now with the idea that the community is our strength and together we, um, you know, we can save our hospital. So I wanted to ask Rose Eason, because she just does it so beautifully, to come up and give a summary of um, what has occurred, uh, what brought CHC here and sort of the history of that um, relationship. Thanks, Connie. Hi, everybody. My name is Rose Eason, and I am a concerned community member. And I will just share what I was told by somebody with firsthand knowledge of how um, CHC Consulting, which is an arm of community hospital corporation based in, I need to be louder? No one's ever told me that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Lower my mask. Okay. Um, sorry. See, a community hospital corporation, um, a Texas-based firm, um, my understanding, again, from what I was told by someone who would know, is that the local board that was um, the local RMCH board of trustees that was active in um, terminating the relationship with Conejo and healthcare integrity uh, brought in Steve McKernan from UNM Hospitals. He was retired from UNM Hospitals in Albuquerque in a kind of consulting role. And his advice to that board was that they needed a complete overhaul and total restructuring and that they needed to require some kind of hospital 
leadership, administrative, or financial experience as a prerequisite to serve on the board. And under that guidance, the local board resigned. Um, I think completely everybody on that board resigned. And McKernan was then president of RMCH Board of Trustees, no longer a consultant, but in a formal role with the nonprofit organization. And um, <laughs> okay, I have been told that before, Terry. Thanks. <laughs> uh, yes. Speak up more. Okay, I sound like to me. I sound like the voice of God up here. So sorry. <laughs> okay, I will start. So McKernan became president of the RMCHCS Board of Trustees, and then under uh, his presidency, thanks, Terry. <laughs> Um, more board members were recruited who were mostly non-local and uh, somewhere in this mix I'm not 100% sure of the timeline community health consulting was brought in on a th I think a very short-term contract as a consulting company and if anybody knows any different please correct me but once McKernan had been made president and a new board had been formed again that was majority non-local that's when a three-year contract was executed with CHC Consulting. That was executed on May 3rd, 2021. So we're not even a year into that three-year contract. Thank you. Um, okay. And so I think it's important to note that in the um, year and a half that um, CHC Consulting com the co Community Hospital Corporation has been um, in some way part of the management structure of RMCH that we have noticed several concerning issues that um, lead us to worry about the t deterioration of the hospital. So I think that our first signal of that was um, back in um, the fall of this past fall. So several things happened. The first is that the physicians at RMCH decided to unionize and they were, they told the community and just, um, were very clear with the community about their reasons for unionizing and that was related to patient safety issues and um, with um, uh, concerns about retaliation. We also at the same time began to hear stories from other community members. So the county commissioners and the city hosted a um, session in October of 2021 where many current and former employees of RMCH got up to speak about issues of retaliation that they were experiencing at the hospital. Some of them told us that they were telling us these stories at great risk to themselves. And so at the same time, we also noted that labor and delivery closed for about a month. Um, so with that, the, and, and that closure was due primarily to um, the exodus of all of the labor and delivery um, labor, labor and delivery nurses. So, since then, we have um, the community members have shown up to board meetings. We have um, continued to organize as a community, and we have continued to advocate on various issues that are impacting our community members. So, in January of this year, we noted that. Many, many people were reaching out to the community health action group um, that had organized at that time and told us we're having problems with the phone lines. We're not able to make appointments. We can't call anybody to get our prescriptions. Our children need our va their vaccines. And um, um, many folks that we talked to said that they were starting to transfer their care over to Albuquerque or other hospitals um, further away. Um, so as because many of these um, many people had already tried to escalate their issues without any success, um, we 
um, organized protests around the phone lines and around um, uh, patient issues in general from at RMCH in um, February and March. And at the same time, our community health action group also began to realize that we, as we were not getting answers to many of the questions that we were answering or asking. So for example, we were asking, why is there this exodus of staff? Why, um, is anybody investigating this issue? Because we felt that we were not getting any answers to those questions, we decided to do our own research. And so we, um, we um, performed a survey in January, February, December and January of this past, um, this past December and January, and today we are going to present you with the results of the findings from the um, current and former employees of RMCH who responded to that. So, um, I do want to so, say that you know many of these issues are going to are impact our care currently, and this is why we are so concerned now. So, for example, the patient call light system at the hospital has been dysfunctional since last March. So, the hospital administration, and during this time, has come up with many stopgap measures, including um, giving you know patients cell phones or service bells to ring. And at this time, there is a temporary solution in place, but. Our concern is that it, despite the fact that the physicians had organized and donated the money to put in place a temporary solution, that temporary solution did not get put into place until September, um, several months after the, the collate system was, um, was known to be um, non-functional, um, and that was only after significant public outcry. We also note that the same can be said of the code button system on the um, med, on the, um, inpatient floors. So, and this is problematic because when a patient codes, you know, nurses have to decide whether to start CPR or they have to go to the hallway to, you know, to call somebody into the room for help. And then we already talked about the issues with the phone system, which was disabled for at least two months um, this past, um, in December and January. And again, until the public, you know, spoke up about this and organized and um, demonstrated that this was an issue, um, no solution, temporary, no solutions were really put into place. So I think that the best example of what our concern is uh, um, related to patient, uh, related to hospital staffing and how that impacts our care now is the closure of labor and delivery. And it also, I think, is illustrative of how, um, of our inter of interactions between CHC management and staff and their, um, their responses to our questions about why these things are occurring. So back in September and October of 2021, um, labor and delivery closed entirely, and this was, CHC management said, because there was an unexpected exodus of nurses. So CHC blamed this national, a national nursing shortage on this exodus, and the a management actually said that nurses told them that they were leaving for higher pay. So we do know that at that particular um, meeting at the county commissioners, that several nurses actually stood up and said otherwise. So the, I, I, there were several people who spoke up, but I think that the best example we have here is one from Mary Ipple, who was a longtime nurse at Rehoboth McKinley Hospital. So she said, I have made copies here of some of the letters that I sent to administration over the past months and years. The problems of recruitment and then retention of regular staff and the importance of safe care in the women's health unit were stressed repeatedly. This had very little to do with the national nursing shortage. I held on until August but had reached my limit. The promises given in December for better staffing were once again stashed and morale was incredibly low. Safety concerns expressed went unanswered. 
It boiled down to two things in my mind, lack of respect for the staff and providers and lack of trust in administration and the decisions they were making without providing a clear plan. Absence of communication was glaring. At that very same meeting, CHC management said they weren't sure why the chief of obstetrics, Dr. Walker, decided to resign. And later, when the other providers also resigned, they said they were not sure why the other providers left. So though the three former OBGYNs have already told us why they decided to resign. And I will give you some of the quotes that they gave at that public meeting. So, oops, here. Dr. Hannah Palm said, I can no longer work for an administration that ignores or even retaliates against people who speak up about patient safety concerns and advocate for respectful treatment. This hospital needs to be run by local, committed, trusted leadership. That is an environment in which I would be, could and would be happy to work. Dr. Casey Sauter, who came here as a HEAL fellow, said, I plan to stay in New Mexico, but I will not be staying at RMCH under this administration. And last, Dr. Walker, who was the chief of obstetrics, said, um, shoot, I expected that the hospital administration would work with me to stabilize the department and improve patient safety and quality of care. Unfortunately, the actions of this administration have made it clear that this is not their intent. Their actions have been so inexplicable to me that I can only be led to believe that they are actively working to close all women's health services and likely the hospital. So as you can see, CHC gave one response in, in you know, national nursing shortage is responsible for the nurses leaving and they don't know why the providers left. And here at this meeting, we, were, we have um, answers to the contrary. So, Based on this discrepancy, um, the Community Health Action Group, with, a lot, with several community members, um, decided to, um, to conduct a survey. And the objective was really to understand the crisis of staffing created by alarming turnover that was particularly acute since the beginning of CHG's management of RMCH. And I would like to keep, to keep this in mind that we see this as a broader um, we see this as a possible broader signal, or as a, a broader signal of the way that CHC conducts business with its staff in the community. So the survey we announced at our last town hall meeting in December, on December 12th, um, we did what's called a convenience sample. So because we didn't have full formal lists of all the employees who um, we could interview, we reached first out to known contacts and asked them to disseminate the survey broadly and also post it on social media. The survey responses we received, we reviewed for validity. We did ask for contact information and for people who were comfortable doing that, and we reached out to them just to ensure that, um, you know, to ensure that, um, that they were who they said they were. We received 33 responses, 20 from former employees and 13 from current employees. And at the same time, we also have been conducting a secondary evaluation to estimate the number of staff who departed from the institution, and we did that by hand count. So, here are the findings. So first thing is that turnover is abnormally high. So CHC management has said the turnover rate at RMCH is comparable to that of general hospitals during the pandemic. What our evidence shows is that over 60% of nurses have departed from the hospital since CHC started. Over 40% of permanent physicians and over 25% of all hospital employees. This 60% number in particular is unusually high. So by our best, our research shows that the national average for 2021 of nursing turnover was around 20%. So this really does present a significant, um, a significant turnover. This is not normal. The second thing we asked is, do you know why your employees are leaving? Are you conducting 
exit interviews. CHC management has said repeatedly, back in October and more recently, that we conduct, inter we conduct exit conferences to learn why they are leaving. And yes, we always seek an exit interview with any departing employee. Our survey results show that of the 18 former employees who answered this question, only one person was offered an exit interview. An additional five actually requested to have an exit interview done. This is not normal in a, nor uh, this is not normal in a healthy functioning institution. We wanted to ask about acts of retaliation because that was what many people were testifying that they were experiencing or witnessing. CHC management has told us repeatedly, we don't threaten our coworkers and that is an important value. Our results show that when we asked um, participants whether they had witnessed or experienced retaliation, the majority said yes. 60% of the respondents said yes, and another 15% said they said maybe. This is not normal in a, in a healthy institution. To put a little bit of context to this um, atmosphere of retaliation, so one physician, we did a give, give people some opportunities to provide some free text responses. So you can see one current physician here reports how they were put on a final written warning for something management agreed I did not do and was denied the ability to review the appeals or grievance staff, staff grievance policy procedure. And then a former nurse talked about how people have been written up for things they have not done after speaking up about dissatisfaction with their jobs or concerns about patient safety. Again, this is not normal. Their contention from CHC management is that nurses are leaving for higher pay. So you have the quote here, long-time nurses have left the organization for much higher pay as contract nurses. Our results show that of the 12 former nurses that we surveyed, unsafe staff levels, lack of response to safety concerns, a lack of respect in work conditions were the most cited reasons for departure. Only two cited pay as a motivating factor. This is not normal. Oops, sorry. And then lastly, we, CHC management has told us that they have to rely on travel nurses, people from far away. And the reason is because as an institution as small as RMCH, there are not enough qualified staff who, are, who live locally. Our results show that of the former employees who responded to this, of the former employees, 70% of them still live in the area. And of the current employees who responded to our survey, most of them report, 85% of them reported that they lived in this area for five or more years and or they've lived here less than that but have an intention to stay here. And of all the, all the participants that we surveyed, 40% of them were born and raised here in the community. It is not normal to say that we, it, this is not normal. We have people who live in this community who um, are, are qualified. And then we also wanted to ask more about the culture of safety and quality of care at the hospital because having the, an atmosphere where people are comfortable bringing up issues about patient safety and work conditions is actually really important for the functioning of a, of a safe hospital. So 60% of our respondents said that they were very uncomfortable bringing work condition concerns to management and an equal portion said that they were very uncomfortable bringing patient safety, um, patient safety concerns to management. And I will say too that in the free text responses, we did have people who said, I am very comfortable bringing um, issues up to um, management, but, but I'm finding that I'm not getting any response to my concerns. So this, these again are some quotes. 
Trying to communicate concerns was difficult be with, because my input was quickly dismissed. I felt belittled. It seemed like management did not care. My concerns would be nulled because they didn't come from higher management or I was told they're working on that situation. Pay was not an issue, but work conditions were. Again, a shrugging of shoulders was the response from management. This is not normal. And what we noted too from our survey is that a lack of culture of safety is causing active burnout and harm among staff. So we had a free text response that asked people, what is, what's the worst thing about working at RMCH? So what people said, 23 of the 33 people cited issues with RMCH administration. So the worst thing is having an administration that doesn't listen to you or respect you. Having a CEO that doesn't look you in the eye or respect your community. RMCH is a community hospital and that simple fact is not respected by anyone administration. And, and another quote that says, current administration has created such a toxic environment that even the most dedicated staff member has burned out. We are fighting for the heart and soul of our hospital every day. And then I just, um, I did just want to emphasize this import, the importance of the, um, this culture of safety, safety and quality um, as it relates to quality care and satisfaction. So multiple agencies and vast amount, you know, vast evidence um, in health policy literature supports that having a blame-free environment where people are able to report errors without fear of reprimand or punishment, where collaboration across ranks and disciplines to solutions is paramount, where organizations are committed to addressing safety concerns is really important in addressing patient satisfaction and quality care issues. And our concern is that our results suggest that this is not an environment that exists currently at the hospital. We would also like to, so as I said, um, we also are concerned that this is a um, approach to communication that also erodes community trust. So if you, like I, um, we, the um, Community Health Action Group sponsored several protests in February and March. And so it was reported in the Gallup Independent that CHC management's perspective on these patients who were coming out in, to make their um, concerns known was that they were picketers with vulgar obscene signs yelling and screaming. And in fact, CHC management stated that the protests would spur no action from the hospital and were an unnecessary distraction. And in fact, the day of that protest, they canceled patient patient appointments from the clinic, despite the fact that the protest was a quarter mile away from the clinic and, um, and there, um, quarter mile away from the clinic and was in no way to be disruptive to, um, to the hospital's function. So I guess it's important to ask, why does this actually all matter? You know, what, um, we, why, does the, why does it matter that our hospital be a community hospital and why we, um, why we work to make sure that it stays that way. The fact is that the the fact is that if our hospital were to no longer be in control controlled by the community, if it was, it was no longer to be a community hospital, if it were to become um, a for-profit institution or be taken over by a corporation, then our community becomes vulnerable to profit motive. So to explain what this, and this has happened to many hospitals across the country, um, the first thing that when profit becomes the priority, not quality of care and not patient, you know, not the community needs, then 
first of all, non-essential services that don't make the hospital money are more subject to closure. So that includes things like labor and delivery. Labor and delivery at small volumes does not make hospitals money, but it is an essential service and critical for our community. The second thing is that when profit becomes the motive, then our community becomes subject to, um, subject to corporate interests and becomes essentially a piggy bank for um, corporations. And, this, and again, this has happened at other um, rural hospitals where patients will come into, you know, what, you know, when you come into a hospital, you'll get labs and you'll get imaging. Um, if the, those rates can be negotiated in a way and the algorithms for what patients are receiving can be um, arranged in such a way that a $3,000 visit becomes a $10,000 visit and that cost gets passed on to um, employers within the community. So it is really critical that we maintain control of our hospital and that we, um, and that it, that we focus on its mission and ensure that it is, it is a community hospital. I do want to point out that our survey does not just show doom and gloom. We also have a lot of hope. So we asked people what the best thing about working at RMCH was. And the resounding answer to that question was coworkers, my coworkers and staff. Several respondents cited a sense of family and teamwork among staff and reported on the rewards of serving their community. The staff when I was there was the best staff from reception, custodian, provider, kitchen staff, and maintenance staff. RMCH is my home and my colleagues are my family. RMCH is where I wanted to work my entire life. The best thing about RMCH is the staff. They are the heart and soul of the hospital. So what do RMCH workers want? What will retain them? They said, told us that they value patient care above all else and that they want it to be treated with respect. It is remarkable that every single person who answered this survey said that quality of patient care was important to them. Clearly, the people who work at the hospital are of our community and they care about the community. Respect for management and fair pay were the second and third most frequently respected op op options. We also asked, um, asked the former employees, do you want to come back to work at RMCH? Two-thirds of them said yes. They, there is, they would want to come back to work at RMCH. And then we asked them in a free text form, what would you need to see in order for you to come back to work at RMCH? And 75% of those individuals said that they would need to see leadership change before they would return. So I guess the question is, you know, why are we talking about this now? We've talked about this in... We talked about this at the county commissioner's meeting in October. We had talked about it at a town hall meeting um, at, you know, around then as well. We talked about this in December, and we're talking about it now. So what I do want to note is that, you know, I, I know that this is a difficult question. But, and the, um, and, but when we asked, when um, our county commissioners and our board members are asked, you know, when, when, is, when is it that we have to act? We have presented you with multiple um, multiple, much evidence that patient safety is um, being harmed now and that, um, and that many people are experiencing a hostile, what we, a to hostile and toxic work environment as um, has been described through um, some of the quotes that we um, have gathered. So um, Commissioner Moore did say, you know, did acknowledge this question. He said, how long do we have to go is the million dollar question before, before they act. Um, they haven't decided the answer to that. Hopefully, we will have an answer by the end of the year. And he did say that in December of 2021. 
And then Bill Lee said in The Independent back in October, I want you to know that none of us are happy about where things are. We want to see the hospital to do better. It's going to take time. We're not going to get out overnight, and it's going to take some hard work. The question that we have is, what are we waiting for now? The exodus of physicians and nurses under CHC administration is unprecedented, and it's going to take a long time to, to repair. And what's more, it's ongoing. Dr. Val Wangler, who, we res who is very well respected as a physician leader in this community, was, was terminated without cause just last week. This erosion in staff morale is borders on insurmountable. The hospital is more dire financial, dire financial straits than ever before. Um, you know, at the, well, they re reported a 9.4 million cash loss over 2021. And furthermore, we're seeing that patient care is currently being impacted. Labor and delivery staff has gone from being nearly totally made, comprised of permanent staff in, in nursing and in terms of our um, OBGYNs. And now the reverse, we have the reverse. We have one locum's OBGYN, and the, entire, the entirety of labor and delivery is populated with almost, almost entirely with um, temporary nurses. Patients we know are leaving, and they're going to Albuquerque grants. They're going elsewhere for their care. It is at this point that we, we want to, as a community, just need, we need to say, you know, we think that now is the time to act. We've waited long enough, and, um, you know, I, I'm not sure what else, where, what other answers we're going to be waiting for. So, anyway. Um, I do want to give this quote from Dr. Wangler, who sent this to um, the Community Health Action Group when, um, a few weeks ago. Because I think that this actually, you know, says, basically says it all, and this is, and also describes to us the power that we as a community have. So for too long, outside interests have seen Gallup as an easy target. Rural, easy to take advantage of, and not likely to speak up. So you, all of you here in this room, and all of you on Zoom, and all of you who are going to read, our, you know, listen to this on live stream, or um, are going to read about it, you are proving them wrong. You are refusing to let another corporation degrade our healthcare and endanger our community. I stand with you in heart and am most grateful, most inspired by your tireless determination to turn greed and destruction around, to create the healthcare quality and accessibility that our diverse, beautiful, strong community needs and deserves. So that's the evidence that we wanted to present to you today. Um, I do want to just pause and see if anybody has any questions about the survey. You may have, you, you know, there, you may have many. Um, if you have any questions in this auditorium, you're welcome to, um, I guess we can just have people come up to the mic and ask your questions, or you can raise your hand and we can come to you. And if on Zoom, um, you know, please, uh, please let your questions be known. I'll give it 30 seconds. Hello, everyone. <clears throat> my name is Rosemary Shorty Sandoval. Um, my family has been here for six generations, so we really are dug in deep. I'm looking over at the, this audience here, and I'm asking one question. How many locals are here? Okay. The thing is, is that there has got to be an outreach in our community to 
the citizens of Gallup. They have to take the interest, they have to take the initiative, and they have to realize that it doesn't matter about a CEO, it doesn't matter about doctors, it matters nothing but that the people have the power within them to change things. I admire what all of you folks are doing. I, I just think it's a, an amazing, amazing effort. God bless you all. But you have to have an outreach to the people of Gallup. Some will read the papers, some will not read the papers, some are not interested, some people are not informed about how dire this situation is. Okay? This is bad. How it got this bad, who knows? You know, it's just unbelievable. But if we don't get our community involved, in the long run, they are going to be the ones that suffer. This is McKinley County Hospital. This is our hospital. And to see the injustice going on is, I can't believe it, it's incredible. Where are, where are your representatives? Where are your senators? Where are your rep Where is the county board? Where is the city council? Where are they? They should be here instead of passing the buck, instead of saying, well, we're working on it, uh, instead of saying, well, you know, I wasn't involved then. Let me tell you what. It is dire. It is so, I mean, I, I'm kind of scared for this situation. Somebody's going to die on somebody's watch here. And, and who's going to have the blame? Who's going to be blamed? So I suggest that you have an outreach to the community, and it's hard work. I represented a group in Gallup that just did not care about meetings, just did not care about really what was going on until you go door to door and knock on that door and say, do you know what's going on here? It's going to be hard work, but I guarantee you, it's going to pay off. You, you've got to spread your wings here. So I'm here to just offer a suggestion like that, but I think it's very powerful. Thank you, you Rose. Know, we got to meet the people. We got to invite the people. We got to go to the people so they'll feel like they're part of it. I thank you. Uh, I, I, this question may have already been uh, referenced in your survey presentation, mm -hmm. uh, Connie, but I wondered uh, what the principal reasons given uh, by people who are seeking care in other cities has uh. been. You know, we, so I, the survey didn't really address that because it was um, for the employees. Um, and I, I would ask, and we will have a town hall or like, you know, sort of like an open-ended um, thing. But if, so if you have specifically questions about the survey right now, I'll answer them now, but we'll hold other comments to later. But, um, but we do, so we don't have any evidence from the survey to answer that question. But, you know, when we were received multiple messages, I would say we um, called um, a list of 30 or 40 comments from the messages received from the community when people were unable to access the phone lines at College Clinic. 
And so the reason why people were leaving was because we got repeated messages, that's, messages that said, I love my doctor, but it doesn't matter if I can't talk to them. My kid needs their vaccinations now, and I've been trying for a month. I need my prescriptions refilled, and nobody's answering the phone. You know, so these were the kinds of issues that people were having, and that was the reason why they were seeking care elsewhere. Because after two months of trying to escalate their issues, they were not, they didn't have, there was no response. Yeah. So, um, I think it's at this point that we want to turn the, um, turn over to the formal speakers that we have. So, um, we're going to have, um, we're going to start with Dylan Solomon. Um, so, Dylan's, oh, let me just get my... So Dylan was uh, formerly the director of ED of the emergency room at um, Rehoboth McKinley Hospital. So he grew up in Zuni and moved to Gallup um, as when he was older. Dylan served as a Navy corpsman from 1995 to 2007, including several military tours abroad. He was an EMT with MedStar and through EMS for, from 2007 till 2013 and decided to return to school to get his nursing degree at UNM. He's been in emergency medicine since 2017, and in that time rose to the position first of house supervising director, in, and then in October 2020 was appointed director of the emergency room. He received the DAISY Award in January of 2020, which if you know, is a nursing award that is bestowed on those who um, show the most, you know, who are, demonstrate the values that make, um, make nurse, uh, of excellent nurse, um, excellent, represent the values of excellent nursing. Um, I have a few quotes from people who know him. Dylan is awesome. His team really respects him. He truly has a mindset of service. Another person said, he is incredibly conscientious and very reliable. He was always diligent. I knew his word was bond. And then the last comment I'll read to you. He's the guy you want in, the, in an emergency. He's level-headed, calm, and straightforward. So anyway, that's Dylan. Good morning, everyone. Can everyone hear me? Kashi, Koto Leao Dewege, Ho Dylan Solomon Leshina, Ho Toa Kwetan, Ho Takiagua Wanchale. Good morning. My name is Dylan Solomon. Um, I am part of the Corn Clan, born uh, for the Frog Clan. I know it's quite strange, but. <laughs> and don't you just always hate it? to be the, the first one to go, you know, because you quite don't know where you may end up. Yeah, so forgive me, but um, yeah, I, I will go ahead and continue. And also again, forgive me that I will uh, write a, or I, I'm sorry, I will read from a, my, my personal statement and I will enlighten, hopefully enlighten all on what me along with my colleagues and peers have endured. Um, Growing up in Gallup, Gallup to me was the big city. You know, my second community where I recall my family shopping at TGNY, eating at restaurants like La Baraka, watching homecoming parades and games. Gallup is unique because it harbors many ethnicities where cultures come together and are intertwined. In 2009, my family and I made the move from Zuni to Gallup. 
However, I served Gallup and the surrounding um, areas, communities as an EMT since the early 2000s. I joined RMCHCS in 2017 to further serve as a registered nurse in the emergency department. I knew I wanted to work at RMCHCS during my clinical rotations because of the people and the work environment. As a new nurse, I was immersed in the culture and the standard expectations were high. Yet I felt supported by my peers and providers. In 2020, two items altered my career. First, I was promoted to house supervisor and we saw the onset of a global pandemic. I had the honor and privilege to serve alongside some of the most selfless and dedicated staff and providers like Dr. Wengler and Dr. Caleb Lauber. I recall Dr. Wengler's composure during the initial planning stages in preparation for this novel virus deemed COVID-19, cool, calm, collected. She took it upon herself to basically guide our institution during the critical planning stages and beyond as she was the chief medical officer at the time. Both providers were instrumental in many aspects of our COVID response. So when I learned of their dismissal from RMCHCS, it was a no surprise surprise and it deeply saddens me. And I am here to tell you my story. And let's jump to October 2020. I became the director, head full of ideas, very aspiring. And we were experiencing the second or third COVID infection wave. The patient care techs, EMTs, nurses, and providers in that department worked tirelessly with dedication, resiliency, and with bravery as the ED became the front line, just like many EDs across the country. Each echelon of care, each department mobilized to support one another with swift fluidity to make a field general get goosebumps. Early on, my directorial challenges were retention of staff and equipment upgrades, such as acquiring new ER bits and defibrillator machines, which is so vital, especially if your department is the front line and directly centers on patient safety. Four preceding ER directors before me spanning five years and only two situational reports from me directly related to this equipment never materialized. I miss, working with I miss working with everyone from the dedicated housekeeping staff, dietary staff, to the compassionate techs, nurses, and providers. You see, that is the core of RMCHCS, it's people. I was her servant up until my unexpected termination in early January of this year. Personally, I incurred forms of retaliation and harassment from this management team unlike 
any other leadership I have experienced. I brought urgent patient safety issues to light as it was my duty, but found my concerns were dismissed. I was given directives that I viewed as supporting the chain of command, but these grew increasingly and obviously onerous. The onset was insidious until I saw the writings on the wall. Supported by hollow corporate speak, I would say, I made a timely and appropriate request for job protected leave through FMLA for health related issues. But my direct supervisor did not respect that protected time and instead forced me to work several 12 hour shifts within that same period in mid 2021. Finally, after my departure from RMCHCS, the current administration made active efforts to prevent my hiring at another nursing job. The alarming manner and efficiency in which staff and providers are terminated or forced into resignation is akin to killing of sacred deer. My hope was to have my situational reports handled in the same proactive swiftness as I saw in termination of employees. The staff still present there need our support and the real support of a caring administration, and that is long overdue. One aspect of a supportive administration is working in partnership with department directors to nurture morale, provide retention incentives, and holding dialogue to address concerns. There should be no fear of reprisal but collaboration to take precedence. The ED had drastically improved in patient satisfaction by way and known of as hospital consumer assessment of healthcare providers and systems, commonly known as HCAPS, and is initiated by the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Um, and it is a first national standardized uh, reported survey that basically captures patients' perspectives of the care and of the, the care provided. Uh, in, in this 29-item survey, patients receive in the mail that measures patients' perceptions of their experiences. The scores for the ED for the third quarter of 2021 were the highest ever seen since the implementation of this reporting standard was introduced in 2006. It clearly displays, it, I'm sorry, it clearly displays the care, empathy, and focus on patient-centered care the ED staff and providers provide daily. It prompts me to step forward and inform you, the community, what is happening to our hospital at this current trajectory. I am deeply and unequivocally concerned about the future of RMCHCS with the current leadership. I also believe our community is deserving of stable, high quality healthcare. To affect change is to step out and be the voice for change. Any practical person of sound mind and judgment will not support an entity like the Community Health Action Group just to oppose 
one's politics or petty differences, but to confront a clear, neglectful administration that is content on showing the door to talented, skilled, knowledgeable, and highly experienced caregivers like Dr. Wengler, like Dr. Lauber, and many others. RMCHCS is a place I grew to love and support. I was RMCHCS. To our elected officials, city, county representatives, your time is now as public servants to have the unequivocal intention to root out answers and ensure transparency, accountability, integrity, and advocate for your community. We only tolerate what we allow. I highly encourage community members to be advocates for change and to join CHAG and to be the embodiment of our late president, John F. Kennedy's words, if not us, who? If not now, when? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for having me up here. I certainly appreciate it. I'd like to thank the Eason's personally, Dr. Wengler, Dr. Lauber, and Dr. Liu for helping me and guiding me on speaking up and speaking out. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Ryan. Uh, Connie, uh, just a note for anyone who comes up to the mic, please come to the left because uh, we have cords to the right and we just don't want you to trip over anything. Thank you. That was my job and I failed in that. Okay. <laughs> okay. The next speaker that we want to have is um, Dr. Wangler. Um, so uh, I know that for many of you, Dr. Wangler probably doesn't need a whole lot of introduction, but I will introduce her nonetheless. Um, so Dr. Valerie Wangler comes to us to McKinley County after she went to medical school at Baylor University in residency in Seattle, Washington. She served for a decade in Zuni, where she became the chief of staff and started the team-based health tech program. She's known for her advocacy for youth programs and helped to grow the Zuni Youth Enrichment Project and successfully obtained grant money for a youth center there, which now includes a sports field, local arts center, storytelling circles, and hiking trails. In 2018, she moved to Gallup for a new challenge, to design, implement, and direct a family medicine residency. She was a regional leader during the most difficult period of COVID when she coordinated with Gallup Indian Medical Center, city, health city officials, and other local institutions to streamline and unify the county's response, work that undoubtedly saved lives. She also led the team in rolling out COVID testing protocols and practices and later a vaccination clinic. The testimonies we have about her character are endless. Here are just a few. Her leadership and kindness make us want to work harder to join in her mission to unify the hospital. Dr. Wangler is the heart and soul of the hospital. I have rarely met a natural leader like Dr. Wangler. She has incredible intelligence, immense integrity, and enormous heart. I trust her completely. It's not surprising that Dr. Wangler was selected as the Society of Hospitalist Medicine's Physician of the Year in 2021, and we are so grateful to have her here in our community. So 
Dr. Wangler. Good morning. Wow. I think that, you know, what we've already seen here this morning is exactly what is phenomenal about Gallup, New Mexico. We have the Community Health Action Group. The members of this group have put in, I'm sure they have no idea how many hours, I certainly don't, endless hours because they care about the health of this community, because they care about our local hospital. We have Dylan Solomon, our ER director, who worked countless shifts, countless hours during the public health crisis of our generation and was terminated from our institution. These are concerning times, but I'm so impressed by all of you being here, speaking up, standing up, advocating for our patients, for our community, and by the potential of what we all bring together. In about 10 days, I think, will be the two-year anniversary of the first COVID patient that was admitted to RMCH. And I remember that day like it was yesterday. At that time, we had no idea what we were facing. We'd heard reports from overseas. We'd heard reports from Seattle. The thought was that the mortality rate could be 10, 15%. It was really, really scary times. That very first patient we had uh, to do some challenging things, some things that really put our staff at risk. And I remember the dedication and the selflessness with which every single nurse, healthcare worker, provider that took care of that patient did, not knowing how much risk they might be putting themselves or their family at. That's our community. That's the healthcare workers that, that we have or had. In 2010, I moved to McKinley County. I worked for Zuni IHS uh, for many years, as Dr. Lou mentioned. Uh, and then in 2018, moved up to uh, RMCH and became the chief medical officer. Uh, in November of that year, my son was born uh, right there on the second floor. Uh, and what an incredible experience that was. I remember, again, just so clearly walking in and seeing Mary Apple with her decades of clinical experience there and how reassured my family felt to know that she would be there to care for us. Uh, that all of the nursing staff, that was such an incredible group of women's health nurses that had put in decades, combined decades of caring for our community. And they did so with such love and care and skill that we absolutely had no doubt that it was the right decision to have our care at home and to have our son born just across the street here. When I look at the Women's Health Unit now, I see none of those nurses. There's been such huge attrition of staff, of nurses, of providers. It's a completely different place. That is what we stand to lose. That is what we are losing under the current administration. And I think that the survey really says something important. These colleagues are not leaving because they want better pay. They're not leaving because 
they want to move to the big city. They're leaving because they want to provide safe, high-quality, excellent care to our community and find themselves unable to do so, unable to speak up whenever they have safety concerns, unable to do their jobs without fear of retaliation. Our community de deserves better than that. That's the reason, as Dr. Liu discussed, that we lost our, all of our OB providers. We had an excellent set of OB providers that, again, had moved to this community, were determined to be here, in fact, largely still are, but are now seeking or working uh, in other places in the community. And I would have to say that there are still really phenomenal people, people working day in and day out at RMCH. Really just the most dedicated, hardworking folks you could imagine. Uh, as I mentioned, we had uh, four, sometimes five OB providers at RMCH. We now have Dr. Marcy Richmond, uh, OB-trained family medicine doc, caring for all of the clinic patients that those five providers used to see. She's working absolutely without a break, day in, day out, day in, day out, trying to make sure that someone is meeting the need of, that, of those patients that otherwise would have to go to Grants or Albuquerque or somewhere outside of our community, which, again, we just had our second child, there are a lot of prenatal visits. It is not easy to have all of your prenatal care somewhere else. And I am just so honored to have been able to work beside her and see how fastidious, how dedicated, how determined she was to continue to provide that care, even under the most challenging of circumstances. The administration consistently says, oh, there's a national nursing shortage. Oh, the nurses want more money. But as we know from the survey, none of the, very few of those people got exit interviews. So how do we know? How does administration know? And thank you to the CHAG for doing the hard work needed to find out those answers. And to know that people aren't leaving for more, for more money. They're leaving because they care and they want to do the right thing. And it's hard to do that at this institution. I'll speak a little bit to the retaliation question, um, because I, again, hear over and over, oh, we don't believe in retaliation. That's not something we do. It's not one of our values. Uh, and so I'll just speak a little bit to, to my own experience. I think that my personal experience with retaliation started in fall of last year uh, when I was called in and uh, disciplined for um, release of patient information to the media and violation of the social media policy. So I printed out my Facebook account, I Googled myself in the news, couldn't find, I just couldn't figure out what it was that they were referring to. So I sat down with my supervisor and said, hey, you know, explain this to me. I don't, I don't understand what it is that, that I'm in trouble for. And the answer that I got was, oh, well, you know, actually it's that you express concerns to someone of, uh, I forget the words, uh, stature in the community, something like that. That got escalated, and now we might be in trouble for it. And then that uh, disciplinary action stayed on my file. There was no attempt to change that or modify that or rectify that situation. A couple months later, there certainly the, uh, the physician uni unionization has been um, 
has caused great, um, has really bothered the current administration. They are uh, very frustrated by the physician unionization efforts. Uh, and so there was a management meeting where an anti-union lawyer uh, came and spoke with the group about um, how to uh, address issues or how to respond if someone, someone mentioned the union. Uh, and in that meeting, they spoke at length about how management needed to be pro-company, pro-corporation, and not pro-employee, and how important that distinction was. And so I asked, I said, you know, I, I'm interested in how in a time, uh, I think COVID has really shown us how dependent healthcare institutions are on the people that provide care. So how do we reconcile the need to retain our excellent people, to respect our excellent people with this concept of being pro-organization instead of pro-employee? For that, I was subjected to an hour-long meeting um, and another write-up uh, in the HR files for asking a question. And so that pattern continued uh, through the last month. That certainly escalated. Uh, as I mentioned, we just welcomed into the world our second child, um, who does have some significant medical issues that we're, that we're dealing with. Um, and it's also beautiful and chubby and amazing. <laughs> and over the time that I took, uh, the earned PTO that I took to uh, be there for that process, I received a series of three certified letters from administration uh, continually threatening and harassing me for taking that earned paid time off to be there with my family during that time. Uh, the final one let me know that uh, I was expected uh, back at work and if I took any further PTO relatedly that it would be considered job abandonment. Uh, at that point I knew that I could not continue to take that risk to my family and my future career and made the difficult decision to resign from a job that I absolutely loved. Um, upon making that, um, stating my resignation, uh, I, was, I gave um, four weeks notice as is per our management policy. That gave me time to tie up things with the residency program. That gave me time to notify my patients to make sure that people had other avenues for care. And then I was told that no, that Friday was my last day. Uh, my access was turned off and that I need to turn in my badge and, and keys to security by noon the following Monday. Um, so I came to do that, as I think was uh, many of you are aware, then escorted uh, off the premises by security. And I think while that was certainly challenging, certainly made me reflect very differently on my time with the organization. The worst part about it was that we had resident patients scheduled the next afternoon. All those patient appointments got canceled. We had resident clinics that I was to oversee, that I was to precept for the, for the rest of the month that have been canceled. Uh, I had um, clinic patients scheduled. Uh, those patients don't know what happened to their provider, uh, why I'm not gonna be there for their appointment or where to go next for care. And while all that is outrageous, I think the most important thing to remember is that that's just me. 
we know that we've had more than 100 colleagues uh, in the last two years, <laughs> year and a half, uh, over 150 employees that uh, are no longer with the organization. So that's not my story, that's the organization's story. And I think the other thing to remember is that it's not just people. I think people are clearly our greatest asset. I think we have a phenomenal group of people. But those people are the ones providing services. So as we lose people, we're losing services. We've lost Wellspring uh, Recovery Center. We've lost our, our mobile outreach program that was providing services, uh, OB and podiatry services, out to Pine Hill community and some uh, remote communities. Um, and you know, when I came to RMCH in 2018, I came because RMCH was interested in starting a family medicine residency program. Uh, and I worked really hard, <laughs> actually, to make that happen over several years. And I am deeply, gravely concerned that that program is at significant risk. I'm really, really worried that that may not be viable uh, in the current paradigm. And I think the other thing to remember is that the hospital is suffering really dramatic financial losses. And those things are all tied together. If we can't provide services, I have to stop saying we. If they can't provide <laughs> services, if they can't get patients scheduled in the clinic, if they can't admit patients to the med surge floor, if they can't admit patients to the ICU, that's where the revenue comes from. And so whenever we lose good people, whenever we lose services, it also compounds the really dire financial constraints that the hospital has been in for a long time. Uh, just one more thing that I wanted to mention about um, my series of, of certified letters uh, leading up to my resignation slash termination. Uh, there was a line in there that just particularly really bothered me, uh, where an administration let me know that they felt like they had extended every compassion in understanding my family circumstance. And that use of that term compassion in an organization where our frontline healthcare workers, day in and day out, we're picking up extra shifts. We're working in a situation where their patient couldn't call for help if they fell in the bathroom or had sudden chest pain. It just really unconscionable situations to be putting nursing and clinical staff in. And yet every day they came. During the COVID pandemic, they showed up and not only took care of the clinical care, but were the surrogate families for so many of our patients because we couldn't allow in visitors. We couldn't have our, our normal uh, <clears throat> ability to let patients be there at the bedside. Um, yeah, I think many of you know, but one of the most clear, incredible examples of compassionate care, uh, our hospital chaplain, Chris Pickert, who's been with the organization for 18 years and has been at the bedside of hundreds of patients in their final moments, been the support for hundreds of families, uh, and again, through the COVID pandemic, stood in and was the family for so many that couldn't have anyone there with them. Um, and she's not immune either. She's also undergone harassment, retaliation uh, from this administration. I think one of the things that I reflect on as I try to understand, you know, what's the big picture here? How do we, how do we move forward? What's the root cause? I think of my time recruiting providers here as the chief medical officer. Uh, and Gallup is such, a, such an interesting place. You know, I would talk to a provider that, um, you know, had 
not really been here. And they would say, oh, well, I, I Googled it. There's a high crime rate. Um, you know, I drove through on my way to the Grand Canyon. I don't really know what's in Gallup. And I think that anytime someone came and spent a week, did a month-long resident rotation, spent some time and really got to know the people on the heart and soul of Gallup, it's an absolutely phenomenal community. Again, we've been here 12 years now and intend to be here uh, for our careers and, and our lifetime. Uh, and that's something that's easy to miss if you're not integrally involved in the community. And I think that that's also what happens from a management perspective. I think that outside corporate interests see Gallup um, as, might still be on screen, <laughs> as I mentioned, as a small rural place it's easy to take advantage of, that no one's really going to say anything, that they can just kind of come in and do what they want. And I think they're wrong. I think that you all are incredible evidence of that. Uh, and I think that there's so much more to Gallup than a small rural community where you need to be taken advantage of by corporate interests. One of the things that often gets said in those conversations, oh, well, we have to go outside the community because there's, quote, no local talent, unquote. Look around this room. Look around that hospital. Look around our community. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a more bootstrappy, self-reliant, resilient group of people just about anywhere. And so I'm tired of hearing, hey, there's no local talent. We've got to bring in people from elsewhere to, to help this you know, distressed small place. We have the people that we need right here. We have the people that care about this community that are dedicated to our patients and making a healthier future for all of us. And the providers, the nurses, the clinical folks at the hospital, we can work anywhere. We choose to be here. We're here because we want to be here. For me, it's been a real heartbreak to have to leave the organization, the colleagues I care deeply about, the residency program that I was incredibly committed to, and my patients that I worry will have a hard time finding care without me there to provide it. But I'm not leaving Gallup. I'm not sitting down. I'm not shutting up. I'm going to continue to work every day to improve the healthcare of our community because I believe in a vision of a healthier Gallup. We need this hospital. We deserve excellent health care. We need leadership change before it's too late. We need to stop the CHC management agreement. We need to take back our hospital. We need local, clinically-based leadership, local governance, patient input. I think the patient advisory board is a really key intervention. Why are we not listening to our patients? Why objection to a patient advisory board where patients can come and say, this is my experience, this is what I think we need. We need community voices, we need your voices. We need growth, we need more services, not cuts. We need to retain, expand, and stabilize the excellent people that we have and the potential organization that we could have. That potential is incredibly evident. The CHAG, Dylan, Sarah, who was my roommate when we, when we isolated from our families for weeks and weeks living in the hospital basement because, again, we didn't know how likely we might be to bring a deadly virus home to our families. An excellent, vibrant hospital here at home is not some far-off dream or something that requires you know, big city resources and outside uh, corporate management to make it happen. It's not a dream. 
It's a 100% achievable critical need for our community, the local economy, and for the future of Gallup and McKinley County. And we can attain this by putting our people, our colleagues, our community, our patients over profits. Thank you, Dr. Wangler. That was um, incredible testimony. Um, I will, so we're going to, I, I want to take that energy and take that, um, and take those, this information that we have, and um, we want to talk about what we can do as a community. So first thing is that we have a petition. It's in the back, and then, um, and I think that we'll, uh, we've shared it in the chat. And I just want to at least read to you the demands that, um, the recommendations, the demands that we have of the Board of Trustees and our asks of the County Commissioners. Um, so we, the undersigned, urge the Board of Directors for Rehoboth McKinley Christian Hospital to exercise their oversight as part of their fiduciary responsibility and fulfill their obligation to ensure the provision of quality and safe care for patients. This means one, terminate the con hospital's contract with CHC. Number two, prioritize a community-forward approach to hiring hospital executives, directors, and managers. Seek the input of permanent staff when filling managerial positions and require that executive managers be in a contractual relationship directly with the hospital. Restructure the RMCH board of directors for the purposes of representation, accountability, and transparency. Structure the board to be predominantly McKinley County-based members. Follow New Mexico's open meeting laws and make board co members contact information publicly available so that the community might contact them. And last, implement a patient advisory board to provide additional oversight, ensure patient and community needs are understood and prioritized, and, pr and, Im and improve communication. We're asking the board of trustees to look to, the board of directors to look to their fiduciary responsibilities and responsibilities to the community and to quality care. And we are asking the county commissioners to exercise their leverage within the terms of their lease with RMCH or through the mill levy that subsidizes the hospital operations to compel the board of trustees to act. We wanted to take a, um, so we'll, we'll we, uh, well, we wanted to do a participation exercise because, you know, within that skeleton structure of the recommendations that we're making to the board of directors is um, we want to make, as a community, recommendations for what we want to see in our future leaders. We want, we want to tell the county commissioners and tell the board of directors this is what we, um, this is what we think leadership looks like. So um, Sarah Pickert is going to... Um, we're going to, is going to come and um, we're going to run a, an interactive exercise and I will put some questions up on the, uh, up on the screen. Hi there. I'm Sarah Picker, a former employee of RMCH, very concerned citizen <laughs> and patient. Um, we would like to get input from the community. This will be taken to the county commissioners um, by the CHAG group. And we have two questions for you. You should have two sticky notes. And um, if you don't, we'll make sure that you get one. 
Um, and then we're going to just thematically I'm gonna have you take them up here and put them on these poster boards. And then we're going to sort of um, group them thematically. So the first question is, um, think of your, think of leadership qualities uh, you would believe would make the most effective hospital CEO. Based on those, if you were interviewing RMCHCS CEO candidates, what would your top question for them be? So your top question for a CEO candidate. And then on your other sticky note, um, answer this question. What specific system, structure, or mechanism needs to be put in place in order to, in order to strengthen your trust in RMCHCS? You can answer your questions on your sticky notes and then bring them up here. We have um, two different poster boards for you to put them on. Thank you. And all of you in Zoom, we'd love to hear from you as well. So if you can type your responses into the Zoom chat box. Um, just So for question number one, just put number one and then your answer. And then you can type number two and then you can type your answer. If you need me to come and pick yours up from you, that's fine too. Just raise your hand. The second question, yeah. what specific system, structure, or <laughs> what needs to be put in place in order for you to have trust in RMCHCS? I think we're going to take a pause and then, um, Sarah, what is the next, um, what is your? So um, we are just going to, fortunately I have Jennifer here and she's okay. in education. So she's helping me It sounds like we them. need a little bit of time. So you know um, what, I think we can, what we can do is open our town hall part and then sure. in the middle of the, yeah. yeah so we idea. do have two invited folks that we wanted to um, have come and speak with us um, because we really do want to make sure that we, um, as a community, are talking about how the health of our hospital actually really impacts the health of our community. Not just the health of our community members, but also its economy and how it functions. So the first um, speaker that we wanted to have come up is Christopher Vian. So he, um, so Chris is a teacher um, who moved to Gallup in 2018 after the teacher walkout in his home state of Oklahoma. So he was part of the exodus that came from there and came and moved here, that is um, ongoing from teachers moving to other states. Um, he currently serves on multiple boards advocating for teachers and students across the state, has served as the president of the New Mexico Association for the Gifted, was a Teach Plus New Mexico fellow, and works advocating for teacher retention and training, gifted students and their families, and for the recognition of need students with IEPs. So clearly the kind of person that we want to keep in our community. So Chris, if you could come and just say a few words about um, the hospital from your perspective as a teacher and as a community leader. Thank you very much. So when I was asked to speak, I considered kind of what I really wanted to focus on. And one of the things that I have found in my four years here in Gallup is that constantly the community has asked for people to step up, right? Step up and take on leadership roles, step up and advocate for our community. And from the time I got here, through running for office in November of 2020 and being elected to the advisory board by the citizens of McKinley County, we are constantly called for service and we are constantly called to advocate for our community. Today, I am not here as a representative for any of the boards that I serve on. I am here as a concerned citizen and as a concerned teacher. One of the things that we know about teacher retention is that it is the community 
that really makes whether you can recruit and retain teachers. Essentially, what is happening is if we do not have a high quality healthcare system in the city of Gallup and in McKinley County, we will continue to lose teachers. The vast majority of our teachers want to stay here, but if their families are not provided for, if they are not able to get the healthcare services that they need, they have to go elsewhere. So like I was introduced, I come from the state of Oklahoma and my husband's grandmother lives in a town called Paul's Valley. It is very similar to Gallup in terms of size and in terms of how rural it is. One of the things that happened is in 2018, the hospital in Paul's Valley was shut down. Essentially what happened is that all of the people who lived in Paul's Valley were forced to drive an hour or more for medical care and services. In fact, it had gotten so bad that we had to move Tracy's grandmother into Oklahoma City, away from a town that she had lived in for almost 40 years. We will lose people to Albuquerque, to Grants, to cities around us that have high quality hospitals if we cannot convince the administration that this level of service is not okay. The current situation is not okay. One of the things that I advocated for when I ran for office in November was transparency. That's very, very important to me. And it's very, very important to most teachers, right? What is happening in our community? How does that impact our students? How does that impact our students' families? Right? Knowing what is happening. Because we know, particularly during COVID, that the medical services that can be provided, that are provided within the community, are so incredibly important. I teach at a middle school. And when we returned this year, we did an activity where we asked the students how many of them had lost somebody due to COVID or how many of them had had family members hospitalized. Over 90% of our students had somebody that they lived with either die or have to be hospitalized. Our students, our middle school students are aware of the quality of education in the city of Gallup and in McKinley County because they have to be. And because our students have to be aware of that, us as teachers have to be aware of that. So when we hear that doctors and nurses are leaving because the administration of the hospital refuses to support them, we know that that's going to impact our students. We know that that is going to impact our teachers. Let me give you two examples. I have a friend who is currently looking at leaving Gallup because her husband does not get the medical services that he needs in this city. And she is tired of driving to Albuquerque multiple times a month. We are losing a high quality teacher because our hospital is not doing its job. Wait, that is not fair. Our hospital administration is not doing their job. The second story I want to give you is another friend of mine is on dialysis. And she has to leave Gallup because the quality of care she is re receiving here puts her life in danger. So some of our teachers, because the teachers in Gallup tend to skew older than average, some of our teachers are very literally having to consider whether they want to stay in Gallup, stay teaching the students and the community that they deeply care about in their life. 
our administration, this hospital administration, must create an environment where doctors are able to do their jobs, where nurses are able to do their jobs, where the community has faith in that leadership. So, oftentimes when I am asked by students, what can we do? Or asked by adults what we can do? The number one thing is to show up. The voices that are in the building are the voices that get heard. So anytime we are able to show up to an event like this, anytime we are able to have our voices heard by the county commissioners, by the hospital administration, we must take advantage of that. In the 1980s, when there was advocacy around the AIDS crisis, there was a phrase, silence means death. If we are silent in this community, we will see our healthcare system collapse. We will see our hospital closed down in the name of finances. And we will see a loss of life because of that. We must demand better from our hospital administration. I advocate for teachers and students on a daily basis. They are who I focus on. But like every other teacher, I have a family. We decided to make Gallup our home. We have decided that Gallup is where we are staying. But if the healthcare system and the hospital fails, how can I justify to my family staying in town? And these are the things that the administration needs to hear. Because right now, they are looking at dollar signs and data. They are not looking at the people that they serve, at the community they are in. So I would encourage you all to please continue your advocacy in support of the doctors and nurses at Rehoboth. Please continue your support in demanding that this administration runs a hospital like they should. I am grateful that I moved to Gallup in 2018. I am grateful for the opportunities that I have been given here. And I can see a great future for Gallup as long as those who are in power do what they're supposed to. And the only way they will do that is if we continue to stand up and speak out. Thank you. Thank you, Chris, for that incredible testimony. Um, and I just did want to bring up one, mother, one more person because we do want to also, again, talk about how important the hospital is, not just for um, health, but also for our business community as well. So we wanted to have um, Christina Eason come up. Um, Christina has a home in Gallup and owns commercial property here, is currently a lawyer actively in practice in Colorado. Okay, I'm going to be brief um, because I think it is important to hear the effects on the economic development of a failed hospital. Although I think the testimony and um, stories we've heard up till now are the most important loose loss of capital. It's our human capital in the community that is being lost. But let's not forget that with a failed hospital, there will be no continuing economic development in Gallup. Mr. Smithberg himself, as quoted by the Independent, claimed that there was, was an over a $9 million loss, cash loss to the hospital, in response to which persons interested in development of Gallup were, became alarmed 
made inquiry of the business community about whether or not that was verifiable because they necessarily had to reconsider whether or not this was a community in which they wanted to invest. That claim of a $9 million plus cash loss needs to be verified. It may not be true. But what is true and close to a $9 million figure is that in 2019, the compensation for CHC Corporation, which is the parent company of CH Community Hospital Consulting, reported revenues in excess of $9 million and expenses in board and executive compensation exceeding $5 million. The board and the executives of CHC pocketed over 55% of the revenues generated that year from the evidence that I have been able to assemble along with others. There needs to be an accounting for that because as the prior speaker mentioned, there is definitely and primarily, if not exclusively, a focus by this administration on dollar signs. And those dollars are going right into their pockets. So that is an effect. That money isn't staying in town. We know CHC isn't staying in town. We know Mr. Smithberg commutes from Kansas City. So these are the kinds of things that need to be looked into. But there clearly will be an effect on economic development in Gallup without a not-for-profit hospital that attends to quality health care for all community members. Uh, Sarah and Jennifer, how are we doing? Uh, getting close? Okay, all right. Uh, I do want to open the floor and see if there are other folks who might want to say a word or two. Yes, Dr. Lauber, please. I just want to say that um, one thing that we're doing now is that there's a lot of individuals coming out of the woodwork saying, hey, RMCH, the administration treated me in this substandard, unprofessional, hostile, uh, inappropriate manner. And so what we're trying to do is to bring everybody together. If you know any of those individuals, let us know. And uh, Brettley, can you stand up? Um, we're going to be putting uh, Brettley's number on the website as well so that individuals can contact him. He's been in uh, law enforcement. He was a medical investigator, and uh, so he has a really good background in this um, area. So anyway, in any case, that's something that we want people to be aware of. Um, I don't know if uh, some of you know um, me. I'm the um, recipient. I was the early recipient of being terminated. I was the only Navajo speaker here in this county, if not New Mexico. I, I had a bunch of Navajo um, patients as well that relied on me uh, educating them. And I was born and brought up in this area. 
and I was teaching the business aspect. I have my MBA as well as my uh, MD degree and looking at business issues as far as medical business was a really important component of teaching the residency program. I was attracted to RMCH because of Dr. Uh, Wangler, her residency program, putting this together. It was a lot of work. And it is so imperative for this community to have a highly educated group of physicians that are coming out and learning and learning about rural health care and providing that for the community. That was the goal. That was my goal. I wanted to ensure that as an educator in medicine that we could really do something great for this community. These are the people that I was brought up with. I know Gallup. I was brought up in this area like many of you guys were. So this means the world to me. And when we had Smithburg and McKernan here and we could see what was transpiring, and it was very evident. I was the chief of staff and, um, uh, like many others, offering concerns regarding healthcare safety issues, issues that were important to building an infrastructure that was really beneficial for the community when that was just, you know, when I was um, looked upon as an individual who was uh, not following Smithburg, then that caused problems. And it was really an unfortunate thing because it was really my goal and my desire to really help and really educate and recruit physicians here. We need physicians here, and we could do that. Um, unfortunately, that did not occur. So what happens is it affects the entirety of the community. It, it, it affects um, this area for miles and miles and miles, and it affects thousands and thousands of people and their health care. So I am a, a, um, a recipient of this area. I love this area. I'm amazed at the, the community of Gallup and how well everybody's coming together. It really amazes me, and I'm very proud of you for doing that. So anyway, I did want you guys to start disseminating that information um, regarding uh, the number of complaints that we've had. Individuals have come to me and have shared their stories about how unprofessionally and inappropriately and illegally that they were treated as employees. So um, please do that. We want to get every one of these together. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Lauber. Checking with our two ladies. Are you ready? Okay, so um, Jennifer, Sarah, if you wouldn't mind presenting some of the results. Fortunately for you, um, I'm an RN, so I can read some of these doctors' handwriting. <laughs> but, whoa. Um, Jennifer helped me to group them together. And um, we have, the, for the question of the top question for CEO candidates, we have some different um, themes. Patience over profits is one of our themes. Would you put patience over profits? Um, local, local leadership, that's probably the one we have the most of. 
We want somebody that lives and works and raises their family in our community. We want somebody that we'll, um, we'll see at the restaurant downtown. We want somebody that we'll bump into at the flea market um, that will really invest in our community. Financial stability, um, collaborative listening, transparency, compassion towards staff, community focused, community-based health, that one's about. And then, um, why are you here and what is your purpose? That's another question that, that a few people have want answers to. And then for um, what you would need to trust RMCH, um, a lot of people put leadership change. We want, um, people are saying that they want um, CHC out and they want a local person to be in leadership. And then we have higher local staff, higher local nurses and all the rest of the staff. Um, also very, um, a lot of notes on local, having the local board, as in the board of trustees, having local people involved on that board and also the patient advisory board. Transparency, honest leadership staff culture and retention. So that's what we've got. And we'll, um, we'll write these up and we'll submit them. So thank you for your input. Awesome, thank you so much. Okay, so we are starting to reach 12, 1, uh, 12.30, which is um, past the time that we planned. But um, I do wanna just give the floor for anybody else who wants to speak. I would ask that our Zoom moderators, if you could put in the chat box the link to our petition so that folks online can sign up. I also just want to announce that I did a little tally and we had about 110 people in total who attended today's uh, in between live, Facebook Live, um, Zoom, and um, in person. So I, I think that's, yeah, <laughs> testimony to um, how strongly we feel about this and how engaged we are. Angela's asking who appoints the Board of Trustees. So. Other people may know, understand the mechanics of the board better than me, but my understanding is that the board of trustees are voted in. So in order to become a, a, a board of, I guess it's formally called a board of directors at least per the bylaws. Um, so in order to um, apply to be a member, people have to submit an application. Um, the other way to become a member of the board is to go through the county commissioners. There are several members who are voting members and then there are a few members who are not voting members. The not voting members include the person who's appointed by the county commission, um, as well as the CEO and the chief of staff for the hospital. The voting members are um, folks who have applied through um, a, consulting firm who is doing that, uh, is managing that process for the administration and the folks who are, um, in, are interviewed and then um, if they are, um, I, I believe if they are accepted to become a part of the board, then there is a formal vote. Um, other folks may know better than me and can correct me if I'm not getting the details of that correct, but I believe that's generally what it is. I think, Dr. Foreman, yes. One of the things that concerns me is uh, that the applicants have to be, after going through the consulting group, have to be screened by the CEO who decides whether they can apply to the board, which is completely inappropriate because the board is supposed to be supervising the CEO. Given this latest few questions, 
where and how did this come about? Because it used to be the board was community members. Yeah, that's, that is an excellent question. I believe that um, as per what we understand that the board was entirely, um, had, was, um, had to entirely resign after Conejo left the hospital. And in order to, and then um, when in the process of reconstituting the board, the county commissioners put in place a um, mandate that all individuals who go onto the board need to have some form of hospital experience. Um, so that, that became like the only requirement as I understand it. But I, other than that, I don't know about how um, this specific board composition came about, but um, that was, you know, that was sort of how, uh, that, at least that, those were the um, parameters placed by the county commissioners. It was the, I was on the board, so as the chief of staff, so, and um, I had actually applied for the CEO position as well, and so I was a big threat to uh, Smithburg because I came from this area, I know these, this area, I know the language, I know the people, I know the culture. So, but it was truly Smithburg who had a huge impact in deciding who was going to be coming on to the board. So he had input in that this consulting team would look or search for uh, individuals, and a lot of them came from elsewhere, not Gallup. And uh, they were interviewed, or they had a discussion with the CEO. Um, so who they oversee. So there was a lot of conflict of interest issues. So it seems like Smithburg is at the helm. So who chose him to be at the helm? Where did he come from? And what role did the community have in making that decision? That is a good question. So again, per our understanding, and um, Dr. Labermay, understand the mechanics again a little bit more, but Dr. Um, so, but Steve McKernan, who used to be the CEO at UNM, was brought in as a consultant and then um, became the president of the board. And per his, through his recommendation, um, Mr. Smithberg was hired to be the interim CEO. Um, as he is an employer of CHC, then, the, um, then CHC was brought in as a consulting group. So six months after um, Mr. Um, Smithberg started his term, then, then CHC signed a contract for, um, as a management. Uh, management consulting, um, yeah, as management consultant, yes. There's a purposeful lack of shedding of light on Smithberg in particular, his selection, the investigation into his background. I'm David, and I've been basically threatened with ostracism if I don't stand up and say something. Here, here's, you know, um, and I don't profess to know everything, but here's how I see the situation. You, you had this very traumatic situation with Conejo, right? catastrophe, uh, all of the board having to resign. The state coming in and auditing the hospital to make certain that the finances were tracked and to find out what exactly was going on. Apparently there was improper commingling of money. Uh, mill levy funds that the county raises and provides to the hospital were being commingled with other funds. There was a staff result, revolt, excuse me. There was all sorts of chaos. Now, the challenge in that situation is to bring in management who can calm the waters, who can reassure people, who can provide a direction, who can show that everything is going to be okay. What did you get? You got the exact opposite. You got a lack of trust, a continue, uh, continued situation with the staff uh, 
uh, both professional and non-professional, uh, which was chaotic, with people leaving, with people being disciplined. You got a problem with the community because people can't call the hospital. The phone system doesn't work. You have other problems in the hospital with basic stuff, patients being able to summon a nurse. You know, somebody who's very sick and has problems can't ring a handbell. I mean, this is obvious. Even I know this. I, I'm a lawyer, and even I know this. Okay, so why are you having this? The, it's, it's the exact opposite of what you would expect rational management to do. Well, look at the facts. The facts are that management is a for-profit entity. The fact is that for-profit entities, for example, do not like organized staffs who have collective bargaining agree agreements with the hospital. The fact is that for-profit entities are focused primarily on flowing money upstream to their management and to the people who own them. In this case, a CHC Consulting, the entity that's contracted with RMCH is owned wholly, lock, stock, and barrel, by Community Hospital Corporation. As Christina pointed out, community hospitalizations revenues in their, in mo for the most part, 55% in 2019, went directly to its management. $5.5 million. If you throw in their attorneys, if you throw in their auditors and their tax advisors, 80% of community hospital corporations revenue that comes out of community hospital consulting, the entity that's running our MCH and other hospitals, 80% of that revenue went to management and went to the professionals. Community hospital corporation, I think it's fair to say, is nothing more than a vehicle for high salaried people to make money. Now, when that's the case, you cannot expect the management of a hospital such as RMCH that's troubled, that is having problems, to do anything other than try to divide and conquer, try to retain and obtain as much control as possible, and try to maximize profitability going upstream to management and to the parent company. That's the answer that I've come up with. There may be a, a better answer, but that's what the, do I have a solution? Yeah, kick, kick CHC out, okay, get rid of them. Put in, put in management who understands that the base function of this hospital is to serve the community and not to try to generate a profit, okay? And things will take care of themselves. You'll attract good people. You'll have good staff. You'll be able to re revive and reinstate the hospital, as I understand it was, some time ago, which was properly serving the community. That's what I think. Hi, everyone. My name is Chris Retz, and I'm... I'm a I serve as a coordinator for the McKinley Community Health Alliance, but also I serve as an advocate for the community for the last five years in healthcare. Um, I've worked with Connie and Valerie in a number of different things around reproductive health, reproductive health and uh, Medicaid buy-in and trying to set up a Medicaid trust fund, uh, which we did actually a couple years ago, and uh, we're working through that now um, thanks to the tireless advocates that we have across the community. But one thing I wanted to know and listening to the conversations today was that you know we're missing uh, a vital piece of this information, or a vital part of the community that is affected by this, and that's the people that can't leave. We have a lot of people in here today that are 
there saying, you know, well, you know, if things don't work out with this hospital, then I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there. But, you know, there's a lot of community, and I represent a lot of that community because, you know, I am here, and I am stuck, well, not stuck here, but I choose to be here. But, you know, I don't have any other options to go and go anywhere, you know, um, unless, you know, I make those opportunities for and that's what we're really doing here for our community, not only with the healthcare and the education and, you know, trying to provide a safe community. We're trying to grow, you know, more members that are, you know, professional and well and healthy and can come back to our community and bring that professionalism to our community to help grow our own. But yeah, I think, you know, we really have to take that in pers into perspective on who can't be here today because they're not allowed to, because they have to work three jobs, because they are in the middle of taking care of their kids, because they are out there in Albuquerque, you know, you know doing sports things and stuff of that. Uh, it's really important that our, our leadership here, our status quo here, not only at the hospital, but in the county commission and the city, uh, and the city leadership and the state leadership see that, you know, our community is crying out for help here. And, you know, we're, we're just canaries in the coal mine and we just need more help. Uh, hi, I'm Terry Gurley. I'm a retired lawyer and I have uh, watched uh, David on TV with the uh, meetings that we've had uh, on these issues. Never heard you speak uh, quite the way you did today and I'm wondering, is there any way that, that we can have you address the commission and have them here a, a, a version of what you just said here in the church. Now, I'm not trying to box you in now about you know time and, and, and finances and all that other stuff, but if to me that was the, that was the cleanest, clearest of what's going on and why who, who's making money and who is who's uh, fixing the, the situation and, and I, I would just hope that we could perhaps have some way that, that you could come and talk, because I think the county commissioners are open to this. They just haven't heard it yet. They haven't heard it the way you presented it. That's number one. I got one more. Is there any evidence of any connection whatsoever between the, uh, the, the guys from the... From the uh, uh, that are running the show right now in the, for the hospital, and Conejo. Is there any signal at all that Conejo is lurking in the wings? I was just going to say, I think it, 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 like we're going into territory that we might be scapegoating people and individuals rather than the culture that CHC exists and is exuding. You know, David Canejo and uh, Don Smithberg exist because they are CEOs of a culture that exists within that, a culture that, you know, is for profits over people and that is over management, over, over, over community care and stuff like that. And if we really want things to change, then we have to change the people that are running those that culture that comes into our communities that culture that says oh this community isn't too smart so we you know we need to tell them what to do but they need to realize that we are smart enough to take care of ourselves that we are not people that need to be fixed that we are people that are healthy and uh, self-determined I think if we are at that point of self-determination as Chris said and if we have the leadership of Dr. Wangler, Dr. Lauber, David, 
then we need to put in place something that's going to fill the void once we get rid of CAG. We need to have something in place that'll just move in. Because right now, they're there because there's a void. They're there because there's nobody to take their place. That gives them power. That gives them control. That gives them a humongous salary that they take back to Kansas City in the plaza each weekend. I mean, Kansas City hasn't even Marcus. We don't even have that. But, but what I'm saying is we've got to have something in place. We have in this room that capability. We have resources. The time is not to just sit by and let them continue to take destroy our hospital. We have a hospital in Farmington whose CEO makes one-third what this guy makes here. Have we consulted him? Have we asked him how he does it? Have we asked the community how they got him? Those are the things that we need to start doing. And we need to also, as Chris said, and I think it's really important, we need to galvanize those people who aren't here. Chiuita, the north side, Mossman. We have a community of people who are not here, and we need to have them present. But thank you, and thank you for the efforts, but I think we need to, to take some action and move forward mm -hmm. in an active way. Gerald, I think you had a comment, and then JP. The first thing I want to say is uh, David laid out the landscape better than anyone I've heard in, in these meetings in the past. And so I would encourage you to take his words uh, uh, seriously. Now, I'm going to vent frustration. I have been involved in these talks for probably more than 10 years. Two CEOs before Caneo. Caneo is not the only problem, and his successor is not the only problem. This has been going on in this community for 10 or more years with this uh, model of hospital management. I have been advocating for the notion that the real solution, which was found in other communities, is to partner with a larger institution. I favor UNM uh, Medical Center, but that's beside the point. My frustration right now is we keep doing this, and it's beginning to feel to me like spinning wheels. We're just patting each other on the back. Oh boy, you're so active and you're, you're so, so caring for the community, but we're not getting anywhere. The unionization of the doctors was supposed to be a partial cure, but Wrangler gets put out. And is there a strike? Is there a union action about it? No. I'm sorry folks, maybe th this group is an exception but Gallup also has a mentality of, I don't want to solve problems, I want them to go away. Now, are we going to solve this problem, or are we just going to keep talking about it, and having meetings, and doing all the things that make us feel good, make us feel like we're doing something? We need to start doing something concrete and productive about this. And the one thing that occurs to me is, we have an organization, but the organization is just keep doing the same thing. More meetings, more, more town halls, 
Smithburg is still there. The problems are still there. I think that nationally there are organizations that maybe for a donation will come and militarize us to be more productive about getting to a solution. And I, I would encourage everybody to just kind of think about those things. We need to get to a solution, not keep talking about it. Thank you, Gerald. I, I will just, I do probably just want to make a couple of points to what you say. So I think the first is that, you know, in terms of your concern that this is a repeating pattern, this is a shared concern, I think, by all of us in the community. So one of the things that really is part of the objective, I think, of this group that is here in this room is we're looking for ways to prevent that from happening again. We need protections in place. And so what are those protections? That it means that we need accountability and we need transparency and we need community involvement. And we have that. We have that here. And so what we're asking for is for a patient advisory board to provide some accountability. And even more than that, we're asking for the majority of our board of trustees, board of directors, to be local folks who have skin in the game. And so, and there are other ways that we can think of to make sure that we are protecting ourselves against that. I'm not sure that an institution coming in is really the solution. Again, when profit becomes the motive, we just have our money go to the hospital and then fly out right out the window to somebody who lives in another city, at a corporation who's located in Albuquerque or anywhere else. So I think these are really some of the considerations that we have to keep in mind. In terms of the union, you know, I, I can't really speak to, um, you know, what their role is you know, and I, but I, I will just point out that, you know, first of all, it's just a union for the physicians and 25 permanent physicians who were at the hospital. 40, over 40% 40 of those permanent physicians have been driven away. So, you know, I think the union may have been a protection for them, but clearly it wasn't enough. And so that's, and so we're advocating not just to protect them for, but the rest of the, um, but the rest of the hospital, the rest of the staff in the community as well. Um, and to your last point, I, I take your I take your point, um, and I, I, we welcome any way you know to become more efficient, to become more effective. I will just congratulate this group, though. First of all, we have more attendance with each town hall that we have, and I will say that you know we have a Facebook we have a Facebook page. Started out you know started what six months ago. Every single post that we have now has one to two thousand people that we outreach to, and some of our more popular posts actually reach even twice that. So I think we're actually, we are actually having an effect, and I think the fact that everybody is here in this room is saying that we need to do something, I think that means that we're having a difference. So I know that it doesn't feel very concrete, but I think that is progress. The fact that the county commissioners today in the newspaper felt the need to respond to our concerns, that is huge progress. It may not be the answer that we were looking for, but the fact that they are actually listening and feel the need to respond is that is progress. We just need to keep the pressure on. We need to show them that we are concerned. We need to, we're going to take those post-it notes, the input from the community, and we're going to take it to the board of directors. We're going to take it to the county commissioners. We, ultimately, those are the people who have the cards in their hands and the ones who, that can act. So, you know, that, that's, where, that's where we're going with this. It's, gonna, it's not going to always be for, feel like, feel like, you know, great progress, but it's always going to be forward. So anyway, I just, I don't want people to lose hope. I want people to stay engaged. Smithburg, he actually, he co-ops our language. When we started talking about a culture of safety and quality, guess what he started talking about at his next board meeting? He started talking about how we're fostering a culture of safety and quality at our hospital, which isn't, you know, per our survey results true, 
but it's something that he's now talking about. He's listening to us. He's trying to co-opt our language, and he's trying to address our concerns, but we want actual answers, not people you know, giving us superficial answers or non-answers to our questions. Anyway, sorry. Um, okay, just Angela has a quick point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who are the county commissioners? So currently it's Billy Moore, Genevieve Jackson, and um, Robert Baca. Uh, Billy, so in this, in our MCH district, it's Bobby Baca, um, but I mean, all of them, I mean, of course, like, but all of them serve the whole county, and the whole county uses the hospital, so, it, uh, you know, very strong, we could very, can very strongly argue that it's all of their issue, yeah. Whose seat is up? So I believe that Jackson and Moore, um, Jackson and Moore are going to be vacating their positions. I believe that the deadline for, to apply for, um, you know, to, for the primary has already passed, and I think that both of them only had one person you know, apply for each. Bobby Baca's seat is up next year. Hey, I just wanted to quick thank everyone who came out here and um, give a big thanks to the folks who have been putting literally hundreds of hours of work into this. Uh, it's some of the most focused, goal-oriented, and productive community organizing work that I've seen um, in my lifetime. And um, it is making, we are making progress. We are getting responses and we are getting little, little things here and there where we, we make demands. It is an uphill battle and more people here is a welcome thing. More suggestions about how we can do things better is a welcome thing. Most welcome is when you make a suggestion, we should be knocking on doors, for example, great suggestion. Think about can you be on the team that knocks on the doors? Because the, the folks who are doing this work right now, they're doing it in their spare time, which they don't really have. Um, they're putting hundreds of hours of, of work in, even though a lot of them have full-time jobs. So if you can find some time to knock on doors or do any of the other things that folks are suggesting, please volunteer your time and, and help us out with that. And Gerald, we appreciate you coming to every meeting and you come and you stand on that corner with us to protest. That is, that itself, that, that is the sort of support that we need. We, tell, we welcome you to come to our meetings, uh, truly. Yeah, please. My name is Sarah Lynn Piano and I've been, also came from Oklahoma, but in 1973 and have been here ever since. Um, and I'm kind of a person who wants to do something, not just. Um, so one question I have is, do we know what kind of contract we have with CHS, what we have to do to get out of it, and uh, you know what we need to do to have a plan in place? Because I think that is what got us in trouble, is that when Kaneo left, we had to take something, and we chose something qu too quickly. And so I guess those are my um, I think your, your concerns are very, um, are very well taken and are also our concerns. So um, the, in terms of the, man, the contract, we've tried to get copies of it, but it is a contract between CHC and the hospital, and we, are, we were told that we are not privy to it. Um, your other point about preventing this from occurring again is very well taken. So actually in our petition, that's part of the things that we are asking for. So we are asking the, the board of directors to very specifically look for candidates and leadership who are um, community forward, patient centered, and are willing to talk to our permanent, and, and um, we're asking for permanent staff and community to have input to that process. The other very concrete thing that we recommended 
is that we see that the new CEO position actually requires that that new individual be contracted by CHC. Um, I think actually Gerald, you put it really nicely when he asked, so if this person's hired by CHC but then working at RMCH, how does this person serve two masters? So what we, really, what we asked for very concretely is that for whoever comes in in a leadership position to be hired directly by the hospital so that they serve us, not a corporation in Texas. Oh yeah, I just wanted to piggyback on what JP was saying and that was just that, you know, advocacy uh, takes many forms and it's not just out speaking and being here and showing up sometimes. Sometimes it's, you know, using your phone to do a TikTok or a snap and sending that to a friend and getting information out. It's having those conversations with your neighbors, the ones that can't be here, the ones that I mentioned that are most affected and asking them, what do you really need to feel that your hospital is there for you? Because if we're not getting that information, if we're not having those conversations with one another, then we're going to be stuck in that same place of just trying to move something forward and getting stuck with leadership and status quo saying, well, where's all your community that's behind this? We have to show them that we are behind this, that we are all together on this. I think sometimes, you know, that's what makes them respond. That's what makes uh, Don Smithberg, you know, release stuff back at, at us and uh, listen to us. And it makes the, the county commissioners and us. So I just wanted to, to reiterate again, you know, that your advocacy can come in, in many forms as long as it's, you know, making that connection and making the issue present for everyone. Actually, exactly what he was saying, exactly what he was saying is um, we can reach out to our community. We can reach out to our neighbors. We have our phones. We have the ability to call our representatives. We have the ability to call Patty uh, Lindstrom. We can call our county commissioners. We can call our, our, our uh, city representatives. We can call the governor's office. Everybody in this room has that ability. And everybody in this room that listened to Dr. Lauber's story affects my life personally. Everybody that listened to Dr. Wrangler, everybody that listened to Director uh, Dillon, everybody that listens to these stories should be angry right now. Your heart should hurt for what's happening to our community, to what's happening to our hospital. Everybody has the ability to reach out to somebody and let them know what's going on. For every story you hear here today, for every story you've heard out of this hospital, imagine the ones we haven't heard yet. Imagine the people that are still quiet, that are afraid to come forward. Let's speak on behalf of those people. That's all I have to say. I know that we've kept folks here, and I, I, I love that we have this lively discussion. I do want to respect people's time. And I also just want to say, like, you know, to the point that we want to make sure that we're doing something concrete when we leave here, I think any of these options are great. Calling family members, reaching out to the folks that you know to tell them what's going on. I think that if you, I think that we've had several speakers today who have very concretely laid out the reasons why CHC is so problematic and why the deterioration of the hospital is ongoing. I've already texted with um, the, our group, and we will very quickly try to make Dr. Wangler's and, um, uh, Dr. Wangler's speech available almost immediately, and we'll take other segments from the, um, the video so that, that we find the most informative to put up on Facebook so that you can share them with other folks. The other thing that I would ask is just make sure, please, to sign the petition. If you do, that does two things. First of all, that provides us with one other count for when we present this to the board of directors and to the county commissioners to show, the pe show them that the community is very quite serious about making a change and quite serious about being involved in that change. The second thing is that it does provide your contact information so that we may reach out to you again to, tell, to update you on what's going on and also to, um, to, to tell you about um, any other actions that we might be taking. So anyway, I really thank you all for being here. I think, um, I, I think 
I'm very, I cannot believe that we have a community that is, is involved in this. Um, I think back in December, our guest speaker had said, you know, I think that what really makes me um, say that you have hope is that you are a community that is far from apathy. And really, it's that energy that's going to take us out of this crisis, I think. So thank you, everyone. And Connie, just a, a, a quick note again that uh, uh, in addition to the CHAG website, uh, you can get uh, uh, probably access to the recording of the Zoom there at kglp.org. Uh, listen to KGLP. You can scroll down to the podcast page uh, later this evening and you can get the full uh, audio of the podcast uh, from, from this session. And we will broadcast audio of this meeting uh, this Friday, uh, March 18, at 12 noon on 91.7 FM and streaming online at kglp.org. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel, as always, for your support and for the incredible AV. Thank you, Emma Farley, and for all the folks who are providing AV support. So anyway, thank you. Um, where is the petition, by the way? It made its way somewhere. And the church has provided snacks and drinks in the back, okay, so please, and thank the First United Methodists for allowing us to be here.